I want to commend you uh, this morning. It's been a lot of fun to kind of shift from a nine uh, or one ten o'clock service to a nine and eleven service. Uh, it's really interesting to watch kind of how people respond. This morning, you guys like dove right in. The nine o'clock service was like super sleepy, and like I started my 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 talk and was asking for response, and nobody was talking to me, and it was just really awkward. And what was really funny is these two sections were packed, and these sections not so much. And then we kind of shifted that uh, for this service. And so I just want to again remind you, if you're new to us, or uh, even if you've been with us for a while. Going to 9-11 means we're just making room for more people. And so you need to go, we need to go out and find some 11 o'clock uh, left-hand side seaters and just invite them to church and invite them to, like, go to, go to the theater, see who sits on the left side, and just be like, hey, I got a perfect place for you Sunday mornings, 11 o'clock. The coffee's good, the talk's okay, and uh, the worship is phenomenal. And so just come on out and let's, uh, let's worship the Lord together. No, we're, I'm just excited about what God's doing. I just really, really am. I really see his promises being fulfilled over and over again. I don't know why that shocks me. It never should because he is always faithful to fulfill his promises. I'm just excited to worship with you and hear what God has to say. You ready to hear a word from the Lord this morning? Awesome. See, that's what I'm talking about. You guys are with me. You guys are with me. All right, how many of you growing up had a, a like safe place, uh, like hideout, quiet spot where you could escape to that was just your spot. Like, I, I had a closet growing up for a little while, and then there were too many toys in the closet, and it got uncomfortable. But then we moved uh, to an old farmhouse, and there was property behind it, and at some point, somebody had built a barn out of metal siding, and there was a bunch of metal siding. How many of you know, for a 10-year-old boy, a pile of metal siding, like, like three and a half by eight-foot sheets, is where it's at when you got some woods and some metal siding? You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about, like, like strips of siding. I'm talking about like big giant sheets. You can make roofs out of it. You can make walls out of it. And so we built a, a, a fort out in the middle of the woods and I could go out there and just escape and start a fire and cook something and just be alone in my mind and my thoughts. I remember when we got married, uh, I didn't need a, a, a quiet space because I didn't have anybody to escape. I mean, like literally my escape was my couch. It didn't matter if Lori was around. She was pretty quiet. Like I had a, an alone time by myself on the couch in the apartment and then we moved and uh, we uh, got another house in Virginia and I had, like, I had my own den and, and that was really cool, a place I could go and be by myself and think. And then we had kids. And slowly my spaces just got taken from me until like my quiet space right now, like I'm, I'm blessed to be the pastor here and I can kind of carve spaces out usually, although my staff will sometimes find me hiding all over the place to just kind of find a quiet place. But my, my quiet place right now is the bathroom. And I don't know about you, how many of you have, have been to that place where you're like, the bathroom is my, but, but how many of you know kids don't even respect that? Like you lock the door and they come like yanking on it. Some, sometimes they figure out how to pick the lock. You're like, can you just leave me alone for three minutes? I just want three minutes. We all need that quiet place. We all need that place of solitude. And I want to talk about that secret place this morning. And not so much in the sense of what it is in the natural, although we need those places, but I want to talk about it in the spiritual. We're going to continue our series called Kingdom of Priests, where we're looking at what it means to be a kingdom of priests. I believe with all my heart that God is looking to expand his kingdom. I believe that that's a, it's, that's a spiritual expansion in terms of people coming to him, but I also believe it's a literal physical and emotional expansion of his kingdom. And I believe that, God, that that's right from the get-go in Scripture. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he, he spoke life into them, he, and he blessed them, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And that gives us a picture that, that the garden didn't, didn't cover the whole earth, but God's intent was that that garden, that that place of intimacy, that place of, of connection with him and, and of provision for our lives would extend over the whole earth. I believe that God is still in the process of fulfilling that blessing in us, that we walk in that blessing as we walk with him. One of the things that Adam and Eve had that was so uh, abundant and beautiful was the ability to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, to see him face to face. And I believe that, that God is doing that. And I, I believe the primary way he's doing that in 2020 for this house and for, for us and for us individually and for us in this region, and really for the believers in this region, is he is restoring the understanding of what it means to be priests as believers. 
Another way to describe that is the priesthood of all believers. I believe when you and I and the people of God understand our high calling, not just as a people who got saved and attended church, but our high calling to be the people of God who meet with Him face to face, who represent Him on the earth, when that is restored to us, when we walk in it in a greater measure, it brings an incredible change to our lives personally. But I, I believe that it doesn't just stop there because when our lives are changed, our families' lives are changed. And when our families' lives are changed, our church is changed. And when a church walks in its understanding of its calling, of, of us together walking in the priesthood of believers, it's not just for the pastors or the elders or the small group leaders or somebody who's anointed or given directing over something, but when each one of us understand our high calling and what God has not only called us to be, but what we walk in, that everything around us changes. See, when we understand whose we are and we understand who we are, everything shifts in our lives. And that's why I'm preaching through this series called uh, Kingdom of Priests, not because it's just a good series, although I think it is a great series, but because I believe God is calling this year, 2020, for this church, for us individually, for us as a body, and for us as the church in general, to step into in a greater measure that calling that we have to be priests in his kingdom. And so we're looking at uh, the scripture uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is our key scripture for this series. I want to read it again because it will anchor us in. It will show us what we've talked about, what we're going to kind of pull apart today and kind of where we're going. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are not like that. How many of you like, like, like that saying? Hey, you walk into a room and maybe a teacher would be like, did you ever get yelled at in class? I mean, the whole class got yelled at, but, but you felt like it was you and you know you didn't do it, but you still felt guilty. Like this is a saying... Uh, Peter's laying this out and he's like, listen, you're not like that. I was always waiting for the, everybody's in trouble except Josh, you were perfect. You're not like that. This is Peter saying to us, you're not like that. Understand, this is, he's speaking to you and to me, those who have been called to God. He says, you are a chosen people. Two weeks ago, we went over the, the understanding, the idea that we are chosen people. God chose us so that we could choose him. He's done everything necessary to call us out and to call us chosen, but we also have the opportunity to make a powerful choice to choose him as priests. He says, you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. We also understand that God has called us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. Look at the person next to you and say, you're different and that's good. God has called us not to look like everyone else, not to sound like everyone else, and not in a pompous way, not in a way that says, hey, we're in and you're out, but in a way that says, God is among us and he wants to be with you as well, so would you come and be part of the people of God? We are a holy nation. We're God's very own possession. That's what we're going to talk about today. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You are going to be blessed next week to hear from Pastor Dan. So make sure that you show up. I promise you I will be on vacation and I will not think about you. No, I will. I will. You're in my hearts often. But I promise you, next week you want to be here as Pastor Dan talks about this. We've discovered that we're chosen so that we can, be cho so that we can choose. We have discovered that we've been set apart different and the power of our choice to be set apart with him. And we also talked about the three functions of a priest. The primary function being this, is we're going to kind of land in and dig into today. The primary function is for us as priests is to be with God. The second primary function, the second function of a priest in the kingdom of God is to be one who enforces and extends his authority in the earth. So we're going to hear from Pastor Dan about next week. And then the third is to serve our king, our God, the creator, it, by his nature, to serve his nature and his purpose by serving his creation. Lord willing, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But today I want to talk about our calling as priests to be with God. What does it mean to be with Him? We talk as a church about the power of the presence of God, how our, how our, our mission is to be those who experience His presence and share His presence. But if you get in a room and you start talking about presence, sometimes people have no idea what you're talking about. Sometimes they, they think some wacky stuff. They're like, oh, I believe in the presence of God. They're like, are you one of those like seance people? Ooh. 
Father's presence here. I feel something. Are you one of those holy, holy rollers? Do you like go to church and feel goosebumps and, and roll all around? See, uh, here's the thing. When we talk about the presence of God, sometimes that sounds wacky to people. The reason is it's because the enemy loves to counterfeit the real. And so God does move in powerful ways. We can sense his presence in our bodies. There are times where I have been in the presence of God and I have felt goosebumps on my arms because of God's presence. Now the enemy would love nothing more than to counterfeit that and to make it seem real. That doesn't make what God does among us any less real. It just means that the enemy is always trying to counterfeit, and he's just not that creative. But we're going to talk about the presence of God this morning as a high calling of priests. We're going to talk about what it means to be with him and to be in his presence. And here's how Scripture, one of the ways Scripture describes being with God. It's the word ministering, or the words, ministering unto the Lord. That especially has to do with priests. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 8 through 9. Here's what it says in verse 8. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi. The time that we're reading about is the time between the people of Israel being set free from slavery in Egypt and then being brought into the promised land. They're going through the desert and God is creating for himself a people. He's preparing them for the possession of the land, for the place of of anointing and the place of provision, the place he is bringing them to. And he says, as we're going there, I want you to understand, I want you to set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the Lord's covenant. Literally the ones who will be responsible for the presence of God. They're to carry the ark of the Lord and to stand before the Lord as his ministers. That's what the New Living Translation says. The New King James Version says it this way, to stand before the Lord and to minister to him. And to pronounce blessings in his name. These are their duties to this day. That is why the Levites have no share of property or possessions of land among the other Israelite tribes. The Lord himself is their special possession, as the Lord your God told them. We're called to minister unto the Lord. That's what we're going to break down. But understand, there's language here that talks about what we talked about in 2 Peter. Second Peter, In 2 Peter, Peter told us that, that we are God's very own possession. We are God's special possession. But do you see the language that's used here in the Old Testament for the priests of God? See, we're all priests of God because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus has called us to. But in the Old Testament, those who were called unto the priesthood of the tribe of Levi, they were given God as their very own special possession. What did that mean? It means God was enough for them. See, when God led the people of Israel into that land, he gave every tribe some land to succeed with. And in an agrarian society, if you wanted to succeed, you had to have land. And what was amazing was that God made it so that every person of every tribe from the greatest to the least, was allotted a piece of the land. They all had the chance to succeed. I was reading an article just yesterday about real estate in Manhattan. And here's what I learned. It, since uh, 2010 till now, they have, there's been an incredible boom of building of high-rise luxury apartments in New York City. And 50% of them right now remain unsold. The average price went from like a million three to like three million... million for a high-rise luxury apartment in 10 years. And what, so what has been built up is this. All of these people have been, have, 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 not all these people, not enough people apparently, are living in the lap of luxury, but there's also 300,000 people in the New York City area that don't have a place to live. We're reading about a tale of two cities. We're reading about the haves and the have-nots. We're reading about some people who, and God bless developers, like they, They should buy land and develop it and sell it and they should make money off it. That's a good thing. I understand that. But here's the thing, that we're not reading about the kingdom of God when we read about New York City. How many of you can say hallelujah? It's a great city, but it's not the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of God, everybody is called to have a place where they can succeed. And so the the way that the priests of God succeeded was not in owning land, it was having God as their own special possession. And what that meant was that the, they were not given land to, to grow things in. They were actually told, you should serve the Lord. Here's a place where you can live. Here's a city that you can live in. But everybody else who grows things should bring the very best to you. And so the Levites, they were the ones who got the choice flour, the best wine, the best olive oil, and the best of the meats. They were brought all that, and it taught them to depend on God. In other words, for God to supply for their needs, he had to supply for everybody else's needs. 
And it built a system whereby they depended upon God. What God has called us into as his people is to be a people who depend on the Lord. Not just to get stuff, but we depend on him because we are called his very own special possession. And so what we read about here is ministering unto the Lord. What does it mean to minister unto the Lord? When we think about ministering to God or serving the Lord, we think, well, why do we need to do that? God has everything he needs. What does it mean to minister unto the Lord? We understand what it means to minister to other people because other people have needs and we can serve them and we can help them and we can help them draw close to God. But what does it mean to minister unto the Lord? Watchman Nee described it two ways. This ministry to the Lord is in two ways. It's ministry unto the house and ministry unto the Lord himself. What is ministering to the house? Ministering to the house is that busy outer court priestly work. If you read about it in the Old Testament, this is the priests who are responsible for receiving uh, animals and blessing them and sacrificing them and, and receiving other offerings and accounting for those things and serving the people of God and blessing the people of God. This was outer court ministry. How many of you know that's the type of ministry most of us think about when we think about ministry? What the worship team does here on Sunday mornings is outer court ministry. What I do in, in ministering to you is outer court ministry. There's a sense that, that, that we need inner court in the Holy of Holies ministry to do that. And believe me, there are times where I'm just with the Lord for what you see publicly, and and the worship team is as well. But what we see is this outer ministry, and it's ministry that we can measure, it's ministry that we can feel good about, it's ministry that's seen, it's ministry that we get encouraged for doing because other people see it. I want to tell you a story about my heart and my sin and my desire for outer court ministry that's going to lose me all the crowns. All right, can I let you in? Can I tell you a story about me so that you got you to agree to do this because it's worth the illustration, but I'm going to lose my crowns by doing it. All right. I already lost them. I've already told the story twice. So last week, uh, somebody gave us a gift and said, I will take care of your children on Sunday morning. And they sent Lori and I to church early by ourselves. Glory to God. Because I love my kids, but it's hard sometimes to get everybody wrangled up and fed and into this place, like, looking like a pastor's kid should look. Um, and, like, you know, like, the standards aren't that high. Like, you know, wear athletic pants, but don't have holes in them. You know what I'm saying? But somebody gave us this gift. They said, you just go to church early by yourselves. And so we found ourselves at 6.45 in the morning pulling up to church. And I was excited. Because I had all the time in the world to get a cup of coffee and to go over my sermon notes and to pray and become spiritual and meditate on what God was about to do and receive, receive the word fresh for what God was going to I was so stinking excited. And we were alone. We could talk on the way to church about whatever we wanted to talk about. And when we pulled up at 6.45 in the morning in the dark to the back road over here, there was a garbage can that was spilled, which isn't necessarily that big of a deal. But Lynn, you know what I'm talking about. This is a garbage can that our neighbors use to deposit the waste from the pets that they walk on our property. It was that windy night. Do you remember that windy night? Last Saturday night? Not last night, but a week ago. And I'm very grateful. God bless our neighbors for putting their pet waste in a garbage can, and God bless them for putting it in baggies. God bless them. But there, because of the wind, and I don't know how this garbage can did it, it must have whipped around all over the place. There was about 50 feet of just widespread and piles of these little bags of piles. And I meet the first thought that went through my head when I saw that was, God, you didn't give me a chance to come to church early to do this. And the Lord was like, actually, this is exactly what I called you to come to church early to do. And here's the second thought that went through my mind. God, nobody's going to see it. And in that moment, the Lord exposed the sin in my heart where I love outer court worship. Now this morning, we dedicated in the early service my uh, nephew, Freddie Hamlin. His full name is Frederick Alexander IV because he inherited that name from my grandfather. Call him Freddie the Fourth. Now, he inherited a name from our grand, my grandfather. I inherited my grandfather's gag reflex. <laughs> and so serving the Lord 
and serving the body in a way that's unseen was not silent <laughs> last Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Several times. And um, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I don't think I'm unique in this. We love outer court ministry. We love to be seen in helping other people. We love to minister to the house. Although sometimes we get tired, sometimes we don't like it, sometimes we're like, God, why do I have to serve people this way? That exposes the motives of our heart because we only see serving of the house. But what God has called us not to do only is to serve the house. Although he has called us to serve the house, he's called us to minister to him, ministry to the Lord, that quiet and secret ministry. It's described kind of two ways in Hebrew. And you can see it all throughout Scripture. If you look, see how ministering to the Lord or serving in the house of the Lord or standing before the Lord, anytime you see those words in English, it's one of two Hebrew words that are translated this way. The first is this. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered before the Lord, uh, sorry, to the Lord before Eli the priest. This is a scripture that tells us about uh, the child Samuel, the son of Hannah, who was given to Hannah in her barrenness, and she dedicated him unto the Lord, and so her husband's name was Elkanah. He brought the child to serve Eli the priest, but the child ministered before the Lord. The word that's used here in Hebrew is a word that means to serve, literally to wait on. It's the word saraph. Saraph. And it means to, to literally serve, like wait, be a waiter unto the Lord. This can involve personal ministry, but it can also involve ministry to the house. The second Hebrew word is found in Psalms 135.2, just as an example. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. It's the word amad. Amad. It's a Hebrew word that doesn't mean to serve or to wait on or to be active. It's a Hebrew word that, says to, that means to stand still to tarry, to cease, to stay, to wait, to remain. So we see even in these Hebrew words that are translated the same way in English, kind of two ways of serving the Lord. One is to be active in our service, and the other is just to be quiet in his presence. One of, one of them involves what all of the priests did. They served in the presence of God, but there were others who served in the presence of God. There was one high priest every year who was selected to go into the presence of God himself. And he didn't do anything in there but, but offer sacrifices for the people. But one of his jobs was to go in there and just be quiet before the Lord. To stop and to wait and to hear. That's what we're talking about this morning when we talk about ministry unto the Lord. To stand still. God has called us to both. But one is better than the other. And one is primary. And that is what we're talking about this morning. Because if we as a people of God think that our priesthood has everything to do with what is seen, we will burn out and we will miss the high calling of God to minister unto Him. And the highest calling in ministering unto Him is to go to that secret place, that quiet place, and be still before him. There is one that is primary and one that is better. This is described so beautifully in the account of Mary and Martha from Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn with me there, I'll read it as well. Here's what it says. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So we get this picture in our mind. Martha, the one who owns the house, right? the one who's responsible, the one who we might think of has the priestly authority to say, you can come into my house. She welcomes Jesus into the house and she's ministering unto the house by preparing a meal for the Lord. And then we have Mary who's ministering unto the Lord by sitting quietly at his feet and receiving from him. We see one that potentially could be that, that you know, that, that point where somebody comes over to your house and you prepare them a great meal and you've done all this great stuff for them and, 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 and you're, you, you've done it all for that one moment where you hear, this was the most amazing meal I've ever had. Like, like if in my house, if you, want, if, you, if you come to my house and you eat a meal with me, if you want me to invite you over for another one or to make you another one or try to up my game the next time you come over, tell me this was good and tell me you liked it. Tell me specifically why, and I will invite you over to my house. Some people are smiling now because you have been to my house and you've been invited back. Some of you are kind of silent right now because you didn't say anything. 
But do you see what I'm saying? It, it just illustrates that desire for that outer court scene ministry. Martha was ministering in a way that she wanted the Lord to see. Some people describe it this way. She was making sandwiches Jesus never ordered. Sometimes we find ourselves doing that, ministering in the outer court, thinking that God has given us instructions to do it. And when we do it, sometimes we find ourselves burned out, angry, and frustrated. Why does nobody recognize me? God, why haven't you promoted me? In fact, sometimes we go to God and we try to manipulate him and tell him what to do with his servants. That's exactly what Martha did. She said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Look, Listen, tell her to come and help me. She told the Lord what to do. God, you tell your servants what to do because I think I know better than you do. And we do the same thing when we get wrapped up in ministry unto the Lord that has not been checked in with ministry unto the Lord in the secret place. And Jesus says to Mar- Mary the, or to Martha this, my dear Martha, check this, he is intimate with her. He doesn't say, yo, Martha. He doesn't say, hey, hey, Martha. He says, my dear Martha, he, is, he knows her. He knows her heart. He cares for her. He wants to be with her in the intimate place. And here's what he says. You are worried and upset over all these details. He's saying these details have kept you from your primary purpose. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. and It won't be taken from her. Other versions say she has chosen the best. Again, with this whole thing about being priests unto God. He's called us into these places of being chosen, of being set apart, of intimacy. But there is a choice that we have in this. We have a picture of this priesthood in Ezekiel. If you want to turn with me, we're going to just look at Ezekiel 44.15. In this verse, what we are reading is a prophet describing a restored priesthood. In other words, and you'll read it, there were, there were priests unto the Lord that walked away from the Lord. In fact, let's read it really quick. It says this, But the priests, the Levites, the son of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. We're reading about a restored priesthood. We're reading about God's preference, His prophetic preference for His people. He's saying, listen, I called you to be my people, and you walked away from me. We've all been in that place, haven't we? Where we feel like God has called us into his kingdom. God has called us to walk with him. We've heard a powerful word from him. And some of us, we run out and we live it. We live it with everything that we got. But at some point between the living it and the word where we received it in that quiet place before him and the living out of that word, we miss out on the quiet place. We miss out on that ministry unto the Lord. And it becomes ministry unto the house. And we get exhausted and tired and frustrated and confused. And sometimes we actually walk away from it. We try it for a little time. It doesn't work out how we thought. And so we just slowly back off until a point where we're not even walking with God anymore in intimacy in his house or in intimacy. And so God says to the prophet Ezekiel, I want to restore the priesthood. Here's what it looks like. Those who have not been unfaithful. How many of you know, (laughs) thank you Jesus, we don't stand in our own faithfulness. And so if you're reading this and saying, well, I messed up, I've been unfaithful, I'm not qualified. No, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because he has been faithful, because he remains faithful to us, we have the choice to enter back into the prophetic uh, uh, picture that God has for a restored priesthood. Here's what he says about that restored priesthood. They shall come near to me. They shall minister to me. They shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. What are the things that God says about this restored priesthood, this prophetic picture of, of not only for the people of Israel, but for you and me of a restored priesthood? When we walk in what God has called us to walk, the first is this, that we come to him. Again, a choice. The word here in Hebrew is krav. Anybody recognize that word from Hebrew? Krav what? Krav Maga. It's, what is Krav Maga? If you don't know what Krav Maga is, it's Israeli special forces fighting where they take all these different martial arts, they put them into one, and they made the most deadly form of fighting known to man. And it literally means to draw in close. Here's the thing about Krav Maga. You cannot practice it because the ultimate aim of Krav Maga is death as quickly as possible to the person you get close to. You pull them in and you kill them. 
But what God is saying is this, that we have the opportunity to come close to Him, to draw in close to the Lord. His priests in a restored priesthood are those who make the choice on a regular basis to forgo the ministry to the house and spend time by coming close to Him. Making the choice to do that. The second thing is they are to minister to me. That's that word, sarath. We're to serve Him. We're to do the things that God has called us to do. If we're going to be the priesthood of believers, we're going to be those who do the ministry, who say, God, it's not my agenda today, but it's yours. Every day we wake up, and I know it's true for me, and I'm guessing it's true for you because I don't think I'm that crazy. There are a hundred different voices pulling us in a hundred different directions towards a hundred different things, many of which are really good things. Some of them are ministry to the house of God. Some of them are ministry to our family. No one would say, don't do that, but when we're called to those things and we ignore the voice to be drawn close to him we find ourselves doing things he never asked us to do and we're exhausted and tired and burned out and frustrated with the people of God and we just want to be seen and God is saying I see you and I just want to call you in we're our call to those things but he says you're to stand uh, minister to me and stand before me a mad to be quiet to be still and in that place of quietness and stillness we minister the blood of and the fat. What in the world does it mean to minister the blood and the fat? Are you ready for my sermon illustration that has to do with food? Got to have one every week. Listen, this isn't me. This is God. This is scripture, man. You know God was the first one that ordered a barbecue? I, I, I'm being funny, but seriously, like he, he called for a brazen altar Except the fact that they cook pork on it, God would have been really down with Ted's. He's like, give me a sweet aroma of burning meat. He says, minister to me the fat and the blood. What does that mean? They're both animal products. The first is this. He said, minister the blood. What does the blood have to do with? The blood is that which deals with salvation. Is that which deals with life. It's that which deals with righteousness. God says in that place of intimacy with him, as we minister unto him, we bring to him an understanding that he's the one who's brought us salvation. That he's the one who's given us new life. That he's the one who has given us his righteousness. Why is it so important to have a regular practice where we stand and minister to the Lord and offer him the blood. It's because we need to be reminded constantly that we stand in his grace. And it's easy for us to forget the gospel. It's easy for us to get so busy that we become self-righteous instead of righteous in him. It's easy for us to become so caught up in everything else that we miss that he's the one who breathes life into us. We, it's so easy for us to get so caught up in our own righteousness that somehow we think we have earned salvation or the right to enjoy some type of kingdom blessing and we miss it. And so he calls us to that secret place to minister and to offer up the blood, but he also calls us to offer up the fat. What is the fat? The fat is that which has to do with glory and the anointing and the very best. Food illustration number two. How many of you ever had a piece of Kobe beef or a piece of Wagyu beef? They're the same thing in terms of the type of cow. It just matters where it came from. Kobe beef comes from Japan. It can only be raised in one place in Japan. The type of cow that's raised is a Wagyu cow. How many of you, anybody ever had it? It's, it? It looks unusual. It doesn't look like any steak you've seen. It's, it's pink because it's so well marbled with the fat. What makes it so prized and so amazing, what makes it so that you barely have to cook it to get all of its goodness, what, you actually, you shouldn't cook it all the way because you'll render all the fat out and you'll miss the point of why this piece of meat, some of you have had it, you're like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's the very best of the best. It's the glory. God says, minister to me, the glory. Give him the very best. Say, God, everything that I've experienced that you have given to me, I'm giving back to you. I'm going to minister in the anointing. The blood has to do with his ways. The fat has to do with his nature. He is all about the glory. The blood has to do with sin. The glory has to do with satisfaction. In that place, it's where we find our satisfaction in him. God calls us 
to this place of intimacy. But understand this. He hasn't called us to this place to minister before him to get something from him. That is the way that other people saw their gods. We're going to do this for our God so that we can get this from him. When we are called to minister unto the Lord, we are not called to go into his presence to get something from him. What do you call it when somebody serves someone intimately to get something from them? It's called prostitution. God has not called us to come into his presence to minister to him just simply to receive. And the problem is oftentimes when we worship the Lord, when we go into that secret place, sometimes we're just looking to get something from God. God has called us to that place to just be with him. Out of obedience and out of joy and because he's made a way and because he wants to give us his glory in that place. But listen, here's the truth as well. It's not that nothing happens out of that. When we come to God with our hearts in the right place to minister unto him, we don't come to get something from him, but you know we always do get something from him, right? Because he's just that good. It's the same way within a relationship between a husband and a wife. Think about this, husbands and wives. You You can approach intimacy with your husband or wife just to get something from them, right? Or you can approach them to serve them in intimacy, and out of that serving of them and making sure that they're taken care of, you also get something out of it. Right, And so the approach that God has called us to is to minister unto him, not to get something, but we also need to understand that we do receive from him when we minister unto him. Here's just a few things that we receive, the results of ministering unto the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 5, it says this, Then the Levitical priests must step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in the Lord's name. They're to decide all legal and criminal cases. There's three things I want us to see in this verse that we receive by spending time with the Lord. The first is this identity. When we choose not to just minister to the house of the Lord and find our identity in that, but when we choose to minister unto the Lord in intimacy, we do receive our true identity. That's where he tells us we are sons and we're daughters. That we're the chosen people that he has called us about. That's what the scripture says. He says, the the priests must step forward for the Lord your God has chosen them. We step into that place of intimacy because he's chosen us. But in that place of intimacy, he says, yes, you are my son. You are my daughter. I think this is one of the key things to a release of priesthood in the earth. It's for the people of God to step into his presence on a regular basis. To be reminded that we are sons and we are daughters. Because we run around all the time acting like orphans trying to prove our worth, trying to earn something from God, trying to earn something in his house. And he says, all I'm asking you to do is come and be with me so I can tell you, you're my son, you're my daughter, you've always had it all anyway because I'm a good dad and I delight to give good gifts to my children. So don't come to me just to get the gifts, but come to me and recognize that out of that I'll tell you who you are and I'll show you what you have access to. The second thing that he does in this verse here as we are with him is he pronounces blessing over us. He says, the priests are to minister before him and pronounce blessings in the Lord's name. How do we do that in intimacy? Because when we're with him in intimacy, when we minister unto the Lord, we bless the Lord and he pours back onto us his thoughts about us and about our situations. He pours back into us in that intimate place to know who we are and whose we are and what kind of blessings we have in our lives, what access we have to kingdom things and that we get to walk in it. But the great thing is, too, we don't only hear the blessings of the Lord for ourselves, we hear the blessings of the Lord for other people. That's what priests do. And so we come out of that place full of blessing. How many of you have had a hard time blessing people sometimes? Like, like you're, just, you're in a, not a great spot and you're like, I don't have a nice thing to say to anybody. When we're in that place, do you know what it is? It's probably because we have not been intimate with the Lord. We haven't heard the blessings of the Lord, so we have nothing to give anybody else. So what's the first thing? Do we read a bunch of things and just kind of quote them off to people, or do we go be intimate with the Lord and hear who he says we are? Not to get something from him, but it happens in his presence, and out of that flows an abundance of blessing to other people. Priests should always have a blessing for people around them. We gain that in intimacy with him. The third thing is, is decision-making ability. As we step forward, as we are with him and minister to him, he, and we hear those blessings pronounced, we also, it says, they are to decide all legal and criminal cases. That's interesting to me. In the Old Testament, priests were judges. They were, we, they were to know what to do with God's laws and his ways. How many of you have ever been faced with a circumstance where you wanted to be like Solomon? Like your two kids were fighting. 
right? Your two kids were like going at it, or three kids were going at it, or however many kids you are, all fighting, I don't know. And you're like, you just wanted to walk in the room, and you don't want to hear their baloney, or their baloney, or their baloney, or the baloney for somebody who wasn't even part of it. You just want to know what God's saying and say, let me pronounce the wisdom of the house. I'm sacrificing that baby, and, right? And the, and the one kid's like, no, no, don't do it. You're like, yes, wisdom has prevailed. You are righteous. You're a sinner. You go to your room. You go play Xbox, right? We want that kind of wisdom. Here's the truth. When we are with God, we receive the wisdom of God. When we're with him in intimacy, he gives us decision-making ability. Decisions are not difficult for those who are intimate with the Lord because his wisdom is poured out into our lives. It's a result of being intimate with him. When you, if you are having a hard time making a decision, it's probably because you have not been with him. God loves to pour out his wisdom to us and make decisions easy. The, third, or the fourth thing is this. The identification and removal of evil from our lives. I'm going to read a verse. It's going to be really interesting. Hang with me for a second. Deuteronomy 17.12 says this. Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge or of the priest who represents the Lord your God must die. And this way you'll purge evil from Israel. Now, listen, don't misquote this. Don't go home to your kids or your wife and say, I'm called to be the priest in this home, and I got a decision. And if you're arrogant enough to reject it, death to you. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. Although, understand this, spiritually, when we refuse to listen to the wisdom of those God has put in authority in our lives, we invite death into our lives. Children, when we refuse to listen to our parents and their wise counsel, we invite death literally into our lives. Not a curse, we just invite it in. When you have a leader in your life who, who is spiritually leading you in a certain way and, and, and they're not trying to manipulate you, they're a good leader and they're just speaking life into you. They're saying, hey, this would be good for you and we refuse to listen to the ways of God. Like, they're not saying, hey, I think you should do this. They're saying, hey, this is what God's word says. Let's nail down on these things. Let's walk in this way. And we refuse to do it. We invite death into our lives. But here's the beauty of it. When we are in God's presence, he exposes that. Why were the priests the ones who were able to decide that? Because they were in God's presence. They understood who he was. They understood when evil came up. See, we live in a society that calls us to evil things all the time. And if we as priests of God don't recognize those things as evil, nobody will. But the beauty of God's goodness is that he calls us to see that evil and he warns us and he shows us how to get rid of it in our lives. The problem is most of us run from our priesthood and many of us run from this place of intimacy because we are afraid that God's going to tell us something we don't want to hear. I'm going to give you an illustration. A few years ago, I woke up from a dream uh, very early in the morning. And it was one of those dreams where I was doing such horrible things that I woke up literally with repentance on my lips. Am I the only one that's ever had those dreams? This, this was the point in the last service where the 9 o'clock caught up with me. They're like, oh yeah, we've had those dreams. Have you had, am I the only one in this service? Have you had dreams where you've done something where you're like, oh my God, I am so thankful, Jesus, that that was a dream. Because you were going to jail, you were losing your family, like you were, you were going to be put up in front of the church for discipline. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You've had those dreams? And I remember waking up from that dream and just feeling like I just needed to repent because I felt so, so ashamed and so dirty over what I had done in a dream. And I was so grateful. I'm like, God, thank you so much that that is a dream. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm giving you that dream as a warning because I love you. He said, Josh, here's a place in your heart that's not reconciled to me right now. And it's not big and it doesn't seem very big to you. But if you don't deal with this now, this dream is where you're going to end up. He goes, I gave you a glimpse of your future if this is not rec reconciled to me. I was so grateful for that dream. How many of you are grateful that God deals with your junk when it's small and in your heart before it becomes visible and large before people? That's what God does in intimacy. In our, that place, he identifies evil. He says, this, hello, this ain't good. Let's deal with it now. And he gives us the grace and the, the, the power to remove it from our lives. The fifth thing is this. He gives us divine direction. See, this idea of ministering unto the Lord as priest is not just an Old Testament thing. It's actually a New Testament thing. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 2. If the worship team wants to come, that'd be great. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 says this, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they being the prophets and the teachers of the church, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them.
When we minister to the Lord, he gives us divine direction for our lives. In fact, he doesn't just give us divine direction. When we minister to the Lord, he gives divine direction to those around us as well. The prophets and the teachers all heard together, set aside Paul and Barnabas. When we are intimate with the Lord, an outflow of that intimacy is a Holy Spirit-directed understanding of what God has called us to in our lives and a confirmation for everybody else around us that this is what he's speaking about our lives. In that place of intimacy, it's direction that changes not only the course of our lives, but also the course of history. Now, those are all really great things. I, I don't know about you, but I want divine direction. I want decision-making ability. I want the ability to identify and remove evil from my life. I want blessing in my life. I want identity in my life. But here's the thing. Because of this powerful primary calling that God has given us as priests to be with him, this is the place that the enemy loves to attack. He would love nothing more than for you and me to not understand who we're called to be. He would love nothing more than to distract us with ministry to the house. Go ahead, minister to the house all you want outside of intimacy and power with God. You can keep doing that because he knows it's not going to be that effective anyway and eventually we'll burn out and be angry with God or angry with the people of God. He, go ahead, do it. He attacks us and he says, that, that's ridiculous. God's not really that intimate with you. You don't need to do that. He loves to attack the priesthood of believers. And if he's going to attack the priesthood of believers, if he's going to prevent us from being who God has called us to be in the earth to extend his authority and to minister his grace, he's going to start with that primary calling to be with him. He's going to say, you're too busy to do this. Nobody understands your life. Nobody understands what you have to put up with. Well, he'll say, you, that's for a certain amount of holy people. That's not for you. You can't be that intimate with God. God doesn't really talk to you like that. Or he'll do this. He'll try to steal your worship. That's what he did to Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 8, we have a part of the account of Jesus' temptation where Satan came to him and tried to get him to walk away from his calling. He tried to get the great high priest to abandon his calling. How did he attack him? He said this. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms. I'll give you authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone who might please. He was trying to bait Jesus into a give me and I'll give you situation. He was trying to bait him into intimacy to get something. He says, I'll give it all to you if you what? If you worship me, if you minister to me. He was trying to take what belongs only to God. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So understand that the enemy wants to rip this out of your heart, out of your hands, out of your head. He wants to steal from you that primary calling because he knows how powerful it is when the people of God are intimate with him. Close your eyes with me today. Here's the thing. There could be all kinds of emotions or thoughts swirling around right now. Some of us are feeling guilty because we knew better. Listen, the solution to that is you don't stand in your own righteousness. You stand in the righteousness of Jesus. He's calling you to restored priesthood that he has made a way for you and me through Jesus. Some of us in this place are saying, yeah, I understand that, but I, I'm, I'm still kind of afraid of what he might ask of me. What does ministry unto the Lord really require? Some of us are saying, I'm just burned out. I, I am that angry person. Some of us are saying, this is news to me. This is brand new. This is available to me. Here's the solution. We've been talking about it all through this series. It's to choose to come near. Now the temptation is to do a, a classic altar call where the pastor asks you to stand up and come forward and we're all going to commit together to go to that secret place. But I think what God is calling for this morning is hearts that will say, yes, I will go to that secret place and I don't care what anybody sees. He's, he's brought us all to that dog doo-doo moment in the middle of the morning, early morning. Are we going to serve the Lord or are we going to serve to be seen? Are we going to continue to press into serving the house? Which again is good and necessary. 
But are we going to recognize our primary calling and say, I'm not going to do that until I've been with him. I'm willing to come and stand quietly before him and minister unto him in that secret place. That is a decision that I don't think needs to be done in front of everybody. I think that's something that we settle in our hearts. And so this morning, let's give ourselves to our primary ministry. Tomorrow, let's give ourselves to our primary ministry. Next week, let's give ourselves to our primary calling to be with him. The key to this expansion of the kingdom is not by more work, it's by more intimacy. It's not more militant advancement in public, it's more advancement in the secret. It's lives transformed in that stillness and ministry and worship unto the Lord that nobody sees. He hasn't built a system where one gets to go into his presence in one place in time. The beauty of what Jesus did in tearing that curtain from top to bottom what it was to make not one temple, but a bunch of temples. You and I are the temple of God. And we don't have to go to a city to do this. We don't have to go to a church to do this. We don't have to show up somewhere to do this. You and I can have access to that intimate place on a regular basis just by being alone with Him. So the worship team is just going to play silently for a minute. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him, not before anybody else, in the quiet of your own heart, to say, yes, I will give myself to my primary calling. God, we're so humbled that you have chosen us and set us apart. So that we could stand in your presence. Father, we repent for all of the time that we have spent ministering to the house, serving ourselves, worshiping other things and other people. in this holy place in the quiet of our hearts in the temple of our bodies before you we say that we have heard your calling to our primary place of ministering unto you God we reject all glory for ourselves And we just enjoy your presence and your glory. And we choose this morning in this place to come near to you. To be still before you. And to minister unto you. Settle our hearts in this place. Restore the intimacy of our calling 
may we be forever changed because we're with you. couple of instructions for us uh, before we leave. I believe every one of us is going to have multiple opportunities in the next week to say yes to the Lord, to his call to go into the secret place. And this is what I sense him saying. It's going to come when you don't expect it. You're going to be busy about many things. You're going to be doing the Martha stuff the necessary stuff, from the laundry to being in school to driving to whatever it may be. And the Lord's going to call your name. And you're going to sense his presence. And you're going to have to make a choice that it might seem like the most awkward or uh, inappropriate in the natural time to just say, okay, I want to strongly encourage you. Just say yes. Pull over. Stop what you're doing. Get away. Walk out of the room. Whatever you have to do in that moment, do what you've just been doing. And open your heart and your, your, your whole being to his presence. He's setting us up. He's been setting us up through these for many, for a long time, but through these last three messages. The other thing I want to encourage you is many of us on Sunday have to Martha up. We have to do things whether it's take care of kids or usher or whatever it might be, there's distractions that take us away. I've had the privilege of hearing each of these messages two times, and I'm, I'm getting more each time. I miss stuff. And I want to encourage you, take the time, be purposeful to go online, listen to the message again. Listen to this one. This is, there's so much more. Every time pastors has preached on presence, there's more, a little bit more, a little nuggets of truth the Holy Spirit's dropped into his hearts that probably weren't in his notes. Get those. Take some notes. Think about what you're listening to. And just let your heart respond to him. He's setting us up individually to go into his presence so he can bring us there corporately even more than he has to this point. So get ready, get ready, get ready. Say yes now. So when the interruption, what we would call an interruption, comes, your heart's prepared already. You've already said yes. Say yes now. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for caring for us so much to draw us again and again and again into your presence. We love you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Draw us in so we can come out and share your glory with those around us. Just a few reminders. As usual, the ushers are in the back door, this door for giving. That door we're not using uh, at the end of service anymore. Uh, you're under no obligation to give if you're a guest today, but if God's touched your heart and you want to respond, uh, feel free to do that. We'll receive that with gratitude. Your giving options are on the screens. If you're a, a new guest, uh, stop at Guest Central right out in the library. There's somebody back there who wants to meet you. They have a gift for you to choose from, gifts to choose from, some really neat stuff. So take that opportunity. Small groups are starting soon. If you don't have the app or you're not signed up for the church uh, email bl uh, blast, do that now because these groups are going to fill up fast and you don't want to miss the opportunity. So make sure you're, signed, you're connected. Uh, the prayer teams are available. These are people we know, we trust, they're equipped, they're anointed to agree with you for prayer. They're here to bring the Lord's healing presence, deliverance, freedom, salvation, healing, whatever it is that you need from the Lord. He is here, present in the hearts of these people. Don't miss that opportunity. Father, thank you for this great group of people you've called together. You've called us your own. You've called us your family, Lord. You've called us sons and daughters. And Lord, as we leave this place, let us leave with a greater understanding and a greater appreciation for who you are, for what you've done, and who you've called us to be. We thank you for your goodness, and we give you the glory and praise in the name of your Son, our Lord, 
the victorious one, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you.